Now, time for our final message of day six. It will be by Barnabas Grayson. I got down wrong. Actually, I did, but I just had it written really badly. Entitled, They That Wait Upon the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I was looking to see if there were any uh, grumpy cats out there. And I realized that he's up here. Uh, I can identify with Doyle. Uh, we've compared our sermon notes. He types his all out nice and neat using his uh, uh, computer, which I still call a word processor sometimes. But all of mine are handwritten and uh, he looked at mine and he said ah old school <laughs> as you can see he has the dark hair the youthful exuberance of that age and here I am it's fading before your eyes I was uh, saw this uh, this little uh, thing here. There's a boy, he was watching his father, who was a preacher. He's writing out his sermon, and the little boy asked him, well, how do you know what to write? And his father says, well, God tells me. And so he replies, and why do you keep crossing things out? So if you look at my notes, I think it's God's way of, you know, saying, you better not, maybe not go over that scripture. You might have to explain more to it, you know. So, we try to uh, uh, stick to the message, and I am aiming for about 45 minutes, but I usually miss the mark. <laughs> but it'll be afternoon, technically, when I get done. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet of God, he asked a couple of rhetorical questions. And he did this for the purpose of making a statement rather than for an answer that he wanted to receive in return. In Isaiah 40, he was speaking to the people of God in Judah, and he gives them food for thought just as it is passed on to our time today for our thinking. In verse 28, he says, Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. If you go back up to verse 12 there, if you have your Bibles open, the preceding verses that lead up to this, in verse 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven, with the span or you know the, the cubit and comprehended that is calculated the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance so in this we see how great God is that he planned with a purpose some of uh, all of nature's wonders including what we see on earth and out there in space Let's go to verse 29. 
He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. If you've been to the landing, you know how long that walk is from one end to the other. It seems like there's only one way in and one way out. And uh, especially with all the shops there, and I'm sure you men may have ha had to wait on your wives to, you know, go see what they want, whatever their heart desired. Well, I think I know, I think that I know why they call it landing, because I was landing at every bench there was. <laughs> and if you reach under the bench, you may find uh, maybe a bubble gum stuck there. No, not really, I don't do that, but, but I, I'm not, I can't get around like I used to, as, as many of you know, as many here know also about themselves. And uh, so we're not, especially if you look at me, and you compare Doyle, Doyle, he's out there with those teenagers all the time, those kids all the time. I couldn't do that. So, you know, there's a difference between a, a, uh, how old we are and how young we think we feel. Now, my wife also has, uh, you know, she has some uh, physical problems, too. And uh, I have this good news Bible. I don't know how much it weighs, but uh, I knocked it off, and it just missed her, uh, her, her toes. And uh, she wearing those, you know, the, those lip-flops, or what are they called, sandals. And uh, she gives me this look. <laughs> Trying to do me in. She does have the power to move things, though. You know, uh, in the scripture it says, you know, if you had the uh, faith to move, you know, the sycamore, you say, move over there or over here. Oh, she's got the power to move because if I'm standing by the counter or someplace and I'm in the way, she'll just say, move. And I do. So, in a way, many of us are weak. We're not as strong as we used to be, and even you young people out there. Uh, your time's coming. But we have this thought to bear in mind. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So that's the message that I would like to talk about today. Now, Isaiah was addressing a, a people who were being spiritually drained because of the society and the culture that was going on around them contrary to the ways of God. A people who had sins and whose sins and weaknesses were weighing them down. In Isaiah's time, much like today, there was idolatry, there was godlessness, there was crime, there was a lot of transgressions going on. Now, God's people have, from time to time, always had trials, pressures, uh, troubles, and sometimes it can make you lose sight of how powerful our God is. And so these words of Isaiah may be seen as a rebuke or a reprimand or an expression of disapproval for not looking to him and trusting in the power of him who has begotten us to a lively hope, a lively hope resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 9, 
You remember the words of the, uh, the Apostle Peter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, abundant mercy, He uh, has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible. If you had your Bibles out, you know, uh, you can underline those statements because these things stand out as part of the lively hope that we have. No matter how old or how young we are, we have this lively hope that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. You make your reservations here at the hotel and, and you trust that uh, you'll have those reservations who are kept for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations it could be spiritual you know they could be physical or whatever that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5:24, I don't think I gave these scriptures to Brian. And, you know, Brian is really helpful because uh, he, he will come to me and said, uh, uh, I can't uh, find... Uh, 1 John 4, 24, something like that. And uh, so he points out things. It wasn't in the Bible, you know. So, But he's helpful in that way. And I really appreciate him back there pushing those controls. But Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily I say to you. You know, these, this is... Uh, truth truth the truth of these of his words he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but it is but is passed from death unto life down in verse 40 it says this is the will of him that sent me that every one which sees the son and believes on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day we believe in his mercy we believe in the the future that is ahead and we also believe that we will have everlasting life and when the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed from mortal to immortal but in this present life we we suffer different things different in different ways to one degree or another but it's the part of our training that that Wilson mentioned the other day that builds faith and patience as we wait and put our trust in uh, God's power and what's in store so for six days now we've dwelt in temporary booths here at the Feast of Tabernacles and over in Leviticus we see where uh, why we do this it says there in Leviticus 23, verse 42, it says, Ye shall dwell in booths. Seven days, all that are Israelites born, shall dwell in booths. Sukkah, meaning, you know, a hut or a lair, like a, like a hiding place. That 
your generations, your children, your grandchildren, so on down the line, may know I made the children dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord, your God. And there's other things that he, uh, that he made us to dwell in. He made us to dwell in this human body of ours. Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. You know, seven days is, is a number of completion. After that, you have gathered in your corn and wine, and you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your uh, maidservant, your daughter, your son, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are within your ga gates. Rejoice in your feast. So we know that the feast reminds us of many things. And it reminds us too that we dwell in a temporary body. A temporary dwelling. An abode. That's this body of ours. But as we grow older, we are reminded of this. That the years, as the years go by, our body wears out. It wears thin. And we begin to, you know, uh, the ravages of time just sort of start uh, taking place in our lives. And that's the reality of life for all of us, young and old. But instead of that, in spite of that, the feast reminds us of the coming resurrection in which we can find reasons for rejoicing in spite of whatever things and trials and troubles that may, that may trouble us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul said, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, being built at this you know, time for us. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So if by sickness or a disease or an accident or war, or some other affliction and infirmity and this body is made to do to deteriorate in some way we have a building from God eternal in the heavens waiting for us let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40 but I'm not going to read from the King James I just want to see uh, let you know how it's expressed there in uh, the good news Bible that I almost dropped on my wife's toe it says that, don't you know, haven't you heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. He created all the world. He never grows tired or weary. No one understands his thoughts. He strengthens those who are weak and tired. Even those who are young grow weak. Young men can fall exhausted. But those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will run, not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. So there's a great day coming when we can do this. But, you know, we're, we can't do this all right now. But to a certain extent, we can train our mind and our body uh, to meet the demands of, say, a particular sport or some physical activity. When young, you can do this a lot, but you can only go so far. I used to do a lot of sports. Tennis is one of my favorites. 
and some people can just really get up and down the court and uh, if they're victorious they may even hop over the net as short as I am I tried that and I know I couldn't do it but after all that ex exertion and, and you're victorious there's that feeling of elation that you have you know done what you set out to do but those who wait upon the Lord they have put their trust they have put their faith and, and their hope in him to give them everlasting strength and life in that world to come so when this was written Isaiah was living in the land of Judah amidst uh, turmoil and perils or dangerous times and Israel had been utterly crushed by Assyria and the remaining population had been uh, deported into captivity Judah had also been invaded but they they survived and but here was Isaiah with the people under seeming cloud of hopelessness you know remember however in Isaiah 1 uh, where he said ah sinful nation laden with iniquity and he said to them, the whole head is sick, the heart faint. They've gone away backward. These first 30 chapters are about charges and condemnations that he revealed to them for their wayward behavior. But here in chapter 40, we see where Isaiah was told to do this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. He said, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says God. And then we come to verse 31 where it says to wait upon the Lord to renew their strength. However, in the next chapter in Isaiah 58, we also read where uh, Isaiah was told to cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions. Now, this voice still goes out in various ways, but you know, who's listening? It's the world system that, that needs to hear this. But we know, but you know, it's all drowned out by a lot of other interests and things that people want to do in, in their life. But we know there will come this cry when there's the voice of those two witnesses that are to come. So we see where a spirit of idolatry and other sins had been creeping in. People were turning from the Lord, losing sight of him, and things looked to get worse before they got better. So Isaiah was to speak out against their, their amorality, their, their uh, uh, unrighteousness, their unconcern with right or wrong, and of having no moral compass or moral sense in their life. Yet in all that, God told Isaiah, the people will not heed, not hear, not turn around. And in the end, they would suffer, bringing bad upon themselves due to sins and their rebelliousness. As in our age today, there's a lot of distraction, temptation, immorality, downward pulls, personal trials, distresses of all sorts that weaken us. Things that weigh us down, put pressure on us. And these are spiritual struggles as we heard in a previous message. Spiritual struggles that require spiritual armor. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, those are schemes, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness 
in high places. So we see that these words that we look at in scripture, they are instructions in God's you know, instruction book to mankind on how to love God and how to love fellow man and be trained in the ways of the Lord. Satan is a deceiver. He makes everything look good. Like the candy man. Makes it all look good. And he's in every facet of world affairs. In every nation on earth. We know this. We learned that from, you know, uh, a long time ago. He works through man and in their systems to mislead the world into ruin and into our personal ruin. And there is no organization or institution or party that is immune to satanic influences. So, we must take care not to fall into those worldly ways. Thinking we are safe and in the right place. The Apostle Paul referred to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. He said that in time past, you or we, we walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air that now works in the children. That now works in the children of disobedience. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. It says, to let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, that is the day of uh, Jesus' return, except there come a falling away, that is an apostasy, first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There will come an apostasy, and we don't want to be deceived into that. It's a repudiation of the Christian uh, faith, a final rebellion that is going to take place, and the wicked one is revealed who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he's God on skipping on down to verse 9 even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power all power and signs and lying wonders though some of us, you know, some of you will probably live to see those days of tribulation. Some of us will not, but we'll be safe in, in the grave waiting for our strength and our life to be renewed. These are things that are prophesied to come, the Antichrist. And as long as we live, we must, we must still know this, that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who lets, which means you know restrains, will let until he be taken out of the way. Then that day of the Lord that we wait on will come and the wicked one will be destroyed. But for now the prince of the power of the air is all about us. He seeks to get our attention in different ways. He seeks to change our disposition toward things, our attitudes toward one another, toward things and values. All those things that are good. And in verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception, deceivableness or unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Instead, they reject the gospel, the good news of salvation, the eternal's power to save. They think God is a myth. They think God is dead. They think he's off somewhere. 
but he's he near to every one of us. But we are bound in verse 13, that is, the, they were obligated, uh, the apostles, to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So here we are, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, faith in the truth, keeping the feast as a reminder of the peaceful kingdom that is, that is to come and the time when we will be changed from mortal to immortality, which some people, you know, will think, uh, you know, what are you drinking? So we are now in our sixth day of the feast. Time is marching on. You remember where it says that a thousand uh, years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it passed and as a watch in the night. The Apostle Peter says the same thing to us in 2 Peter 3.8 where he says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So he wants us to realize and not be ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter wants us to understand that. That God's concept of time is so far different from ours. We're also reminded that the earth itself is a temporary dwelling place. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. In Revelation 21 verse 1 the Apostle John John saw, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea, you know, no more people like uh, as we seem today. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It may be hard to, uh, to visualize that just by reading these words. But we think about it, the, you know, the brightness, the, uh, the glitz, the, the powerful light that is to be uh, evidence of, of uh, like a bride adorned for her husband, for those of us who are, who are there welcoming. And he, and he said, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and shall be with them and be their God. Saints from all nations, languages, cultures, they will now be one doing uh, uh, the law of God, obeying, obeying him. And God, and you know, this sometimes though we have tears in this life, though we have pains in this life, Here's what's going to happen. Verse 4. God shall wipe away all tears. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. Former things are passed away. Do we think we might miss these? You know, sometimes. You know, because when we cry, you know, we pour out our emotion. We pour out our feelings. And, and, and those things are, seem important to us. But, you know... Still, if you have joy, you ever cried tears of joy, tears of happiness? Those are, you know, some tears. But we're looking at the tears that bring pain and sorrow. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
So we have an abiding faith in this, though we may not, though we may have pains, we may have sickness, and all those uh, uh, things, sorrows and worries, other afflictions, and so on. We wait faithfully on the Lord and the kingdom of heaven and the resurrection. We wait faithfully. It's our lively hope. <clears throat> you know, watching calls for virtues, for things that are good to have. When we wait at a bus stop, we trust the bus will come. When we wait in the waiting room, we trust the doctor will see us. When we wait in line, we trust we will soon be served. When we wait at a red light, we trust it will turn green. So waiting involves some patience and trust. And, you know, I trust those things will, and like the red light will change to green, but you know, sometimes I just don't have the patience. I look to see if the coast is clear. No, I'm not that. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <clears throat> but you really have to exercise patience in those things. But some things are really worth waiting for, and we trust that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Grace, which is, you know, courteous goodwill and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and good godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. When something is precious, you don't want to let go of it. My wife and I sometimes go to estate sales. And uh, we see all of the things that the family that lived there collected. Precious at the time they bought them. Precious they, uh, enough that they hated to see them go. But we have precious promises in the word of God. And we don't want to let go of any of that. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So to have the divine nature will help us to escape the corruption that is in the world. And <clears throat> then he tells us about about certain graces that we're to grow in, you know, in verses 5 through 7, yeah, faith, the virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, and those things. And in verse 8 it says, For if these things be in you and abound, you know, uh, grow. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. They make you that you shall neither be barren, that is useless, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we have this knowledge in earthen vessels, in a temporary dwelling, subject to uh, many distractions and things. But Jesus said, in John 14 now, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Because they are on our side and they want to do. They want to see us do well. In my Father's house are many mansions, in verse 2 are rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. And, you know, there we shall dwell with, with uh, God as a family. And then he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So, 
uh, he was asked, well, how, how do we know the way? Thomas asked him, how do we know, know the way? And Jesus said in verse 7, he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. And in verse 15, and if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're expected to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. I'm not going to go through them. But these are the, uh, the Beatitudes. Things it is blessed to have. And you can read those. I won't go through those. And, but you know what, they, what they're about. For example, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But verse 12 of Matthew 5, it says, To rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. We know that the day of the Lord, as in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct or conversation and godliness. And uh, I'm sure Ken would say that's when we're going to need that suit of immortality so that we aren't burned up. So Jesus is the way. And he says that we should seek first the kingdom of heaven. For herein we were called. I'm going to skip First uh, Peter 4, uh, Brian and uh, but just to mention that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Because we are imperfect. We all have sin. No matter how hard we try, even after we have been converted and baptized, we will st still slip and fall. But we have to have that repented attitude along the way and to walk in the footsteps of Christ Jesus and remain in his light and not in darkness. So here at the feast, we, you know, found some strength. We found some renewal, yet still we long for our inheritance, uh, which is everlasting life. And so we wait on the Lord for that. We know that the Feast of Tabernacles is to portray the salvation plan of God. He took the yearly material harvest seasons in Palestine to, to portray the spiritual harvest of the saints at the Feast of Tabernacles. We know that the feast is a shadow of things to come, like the millennium. Zechariah 12 and 13, as, as we've heard before, that it pictures the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. And it says, And in living water shall go out from Jerusalem, literally, figuratively, in us. It is uh, symbolic of God's cleansing spirit, because God is not willing that any should perish. During the millennium, Doyle spoke a little about the changes that are going to come about. The kingdom of God is going to be composed of spirit beings, of which, you know, you and I hope to be there. Immortal, saints to rule with, with Christ as kings and priests. We know there will also be mortal men and women who have not inherited everlasting life. But they will become heirs once they receive the good news of salvation and they keep the Feast of Tabernacles.
while the rest of the dead live not until the uh, thousand years were finished then they will receive that message of salvation so what what is it that we and what is it that we ask and what, what must we do to be saved well we know uh, in Acts 2 uh, Peter said repent and be baptized every one of you and you shall receive the Holy Spirit so the feast gives us it trains us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven you have to think about that great is your reward in heaven we, we don't know we do know when we Christ returns we shall see him as he is we'll be immortal what's it going to feel like though things get us down from time to time and it's hard you know to uh, to uh, have grace and to crack a smile Proverbs 17:22 tells us that a merry heart does good like a medicine but a broken spirit dries the bones and heaviness in the heart of man makes it stoop but a good word makes it glad it's not easy to have a cheerful countenance when there might be sickness and other trials in the family or among friends or in within our own selves <clears throat> you remember Reader's Digest there's a section in there called laughter is the best medicine I used to read those a lot when I was able to read you get a magnifying glass nowadays but they make Reader's Digest where you have those big letters and uh, you guys all look very pretty to me because if I go a certain distance, you know, my output just blur into beauty. Studies have shown that laughter uh, decreases stress hormones, builds immune cells, and antibodies. They improve resistance to disease. It triggers the release of endorphins. Uh, that's nature's feel-good chemicals that, and protects the heart. You know, as adults, we grow older. Life tends to be more serious and laughter uh, less frequent. But children, they laugh a lot. And, it, and, of course, it depends on, you know, how sophisticated our humor is or isn't. It depends on what we are laughing at. Sometimes we may, we may feel like laughing. Sometimes we don't get it. <clears throat> but let me uh, tell you just a little story. A man was walking in the desert with his horse and his dog. And the dog says, I can't take any more of this. I need water. And the man says, I didn't know dogs could talk. Me neither, said the horse. Perhaps you feel, felt a little, a little energy flow there. The feel-good chemicals the endorphins maybe you know it made you smile at least a little bit maybe not well how about this one a sleepy-eyed man said to his friend I waited and stayed up all night and I tried to figure out where the Sun was then it dawned on me <laughs> you know God must have smile had amusement in mind or and laugh during his mind when you know Balaam's ass talked to him I'm not going to go to that story because I don't want to take up any more time, but you can read that over Numbers uh, 22. But, you know, what must the angel that restrain the, the ass from, you know, going past it? It's a funny story. But if, if, if man doesn't listen, so 
proud and mighty in their in their in themselves then there are ways to get uh, their attention you know Peter said of those following in the ways of Balaam that he was rebuked for his iniquity and uh, I find this kind of amusing too because it says the dumb ass speaking with man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet now some of you may have taken in shows or comedy shows things of that sort that make you laugh that give you cheer but God wants to see us rejoice and have cheer here at the feast and pass it on in some way even with a hello now uh, for some reason a couple of uh, weeks back uh, we were in a store and my wife showed me this this little golden book you probably read these stories to your children and this little uh, this little golden book they've got one it's called grumpy cat and she showed it to me I got the idea now some of you uh, bought gifts to cheer up one another told stories of you know past fees and so on looking at the time but it says to rejoice in your feast said the eternal to spread your joy and love around you know we've had good meals here we've had good fellowship sitting at the table at the same table talking laughing because it pictures a happy day that is to come a lively hope that is ahead when we shall at the table before our Lord and Savior share Uh, this happened to one of the elders I won't say who but um, a couple of weeks ago I was told this he, he was sought by the police because he was speeding and the officer came to his window and, and, and the elder said I know I was speeding but my wife always tells me when I'm speeding she didn't tell me and so he looked at her and said you're letting down on your job all he got, I think, was just, just a little warning, a little ticket to slow it down. Things happen that, you know, uh, that are very humorous. So we have a lively hope that is ahead. And you've heard many phrases throughout the feast that are spiritual and makes us think. To look beyond the present, the present turmoil. To rejoice in the feast. And we know that many have come from a long distance and with great afflictions upon their body to make it here to be at the feast with, with others. Where did such strength come from? It's most likely they've heard these words before. Have you not heard? Have you not uh, re uh, seen that the everlasting God, the eternal, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not and neither is weary? So they draw his strength from them because he gives power to the faint, to, do, to those that would rather, you know, just uh, push it all aside and not try. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. And we do that as we heard in, in other messages that we've got to stay in a prayerful attitude. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint this is our lively hope and to be part 
of those changes that are coming.